Good to see you. We are glad that you're with us this morning. If I have not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Alan, and I have the pleasure of serving as the uh, senior pastor as well as one of the elders here at our church, and we are thrilled that you're worshiping with us, whether you're here in the building or whether you're worshiping online with us. Hopefully when you came in this morning, you picked up a worship guide. It uh, looks like this, and on the back side of the worship guide, there is a place where you can take some notes to follow along with us. You'll notice when you look at the worship guide, at the sermon notes, we are in the book of Acts, uh, and you'll see at the bottom, it says that we're going to be in Acts chapter 10 next week, but this week we are in Acts chapter 9. Uh, before I jump into the sermon, I want to just reiterate some things that you heard on the announcements a moment ago. There are lots of different things going on in the life of our church, lots of ways you can volunteer and serve, uh, including the BSM uh, Thanksgiving meal this coming up on the 18th, and you can go on uh, lhbc.net backslash the hope. Don't just go to the hope. I don't know what that website is. It's lhbc.net backslash the hope, and you'll see all the information going on in the life of the church. One other thing I wanted to draw your attention to is we are having a Thanksgiving meal on Sunday, November the 20th. It'll be at five o'clock in this room, and if you are not out of town or not working or not sick, I encourage you to be here because it's going to be a good time together eating food, celebrating together, looking at some things that God is doing in the life of our church, kind of a get-together of church members and those that are, see this as a part of, uh, you're a part of this church family, and to talk about some of the new members that, not talk about, but to introduce you to some of the newest members of our church family. Uh, so that's all happening on Sunday, November the 20th at 5 o'clock. Uh, we do want to have kind of a balanced meal and not just cranberries, so you want to go online, sign up, and share with us what dish you'll be bringing uh, to be a part of that potluck dinner. If you uh, don't know for sure how to navigate and use the website to do that, always feel free to call the church office Monday through Thursdays. Uh, we're closed on Friday, and Diana will help you get signed up for that meal as well. All right. If you would, go ahead and grab a Bible, whether you brought one with you or whether there's a Bible there in a chair near you, um, and grab that Bible, and you can go ahead and turn to the New Testament. We're in the book of Acts, looking at Acts chapter 9. As, as we get started this morning, just a, a reminder of what the book of Acts is all about. The book of Acts is all about the work and the ministry of Jesus that continues through his disciples, through his apostles, through the church, and ultimately through you and I. And so in the book of Acts, we look at the story of God's ministry through his people. We, we see in Acts chapter 1 and then all throughout the book that there is a sense that the Holy Spirit empowers the followers of Jesus to be witnesses throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so we're going to see the work and ministry of lots of different uh, disciples and apostles and those that follow Jesus. And this morning, the story is going to switch back to telling a portion of the story of Peter. Uh, if you're not familiar with who Peter is, uh, Peter was one of the 12 apostles or disciples that Jesus selected and, and did ministry with him for three years. And then on top of that, Peter was actually one of the three that were kind of his inner circle, the ones that were closest to him. And so Peter knew Jesus intimately. And now we're going to see that he is going out from city to city or town to town, village to village, and he's preaching Jesus and seeking to strengthen other believers in Jesus. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 9. Join with me by looking at Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 32, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. 
we see that Peter, it says, now as Peter went here and there among them all, it's talking about all over the region, as he went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints. The word saint there is just anybody that's a follower of Jesus is a saint. We are made right with God, and therefore we are considered saints. He spent time with the believers who lived at a town called Lydda. We'll look at a map in just a moment to see where that is. Then he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately Aeneas rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon, Sharon's actually a plain or a region, all the residents there saw him, saw Aeneas, and they turned to the Lord. Now we transition to another town. It says, now there was in Joppa, another town, a disciple, and her name was Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and she died. And when they had washed her to prepare her body for burial, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and he went with them. And when he had arrived, he they took him up to the upper room, and the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, and he knelt down and he prayed, and he turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. We'll pick up the story about the importance of him staying with a man by the name of Simon, who's a tanner, and that'll pick up in chapter 1, sorry, verse 1 of chapter 10. I want us to look at the map and kind of see a picture of what's going on uh, in, in the area that Peter's going. You see there, it talks about Peter's ministry. You see it goes to the north and says Caesarea, and it says the name Cornelius. If you want to know what that's about, come next week, and we'll look at that in Acts chapter 10, um, and you can read ahead of time as well. But down at the bottom, you'll see the area of, uh, of Lydda and Joppa. We're going to leave this map up for just a moment to kind of let you soak it in. This is the northern part of Israel. You'll see that the southern part of Israel is not shown here. Um, at the far south part of this map is the city of Jerusalem. And I know probably all of us are familiar with Jerusalem, not only in the Old Testament days, but also in the current days. And then up, um, up there at the top of the map would be the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River running through, and uh, the Dead Sea is the body of water you see at the bottom of the map. Uh, you can see Aeneas lives in Lydda, and Dorcas lives in Joppa, and it may look like there's kind of a great distance between those cities, but there really isn't. Uh, if you don't know much about Israel, it's a very narrow nation. Uh, it's not all that long, but it's definitely narrow, and, and between Jerusalem to Lydda is about 25 miles. And then from Lydda to Joppa is about 10 miles. So the, the country's not real wide. Um, now, don't get me wrong, they have no, uh, like, cars, no uh, mode of transportation besides feet or, or animals perhaps, but so it would take you a few minutes to get from those towns, but they're relatively close. So there's Joppa, I mean Lydda that you would hit 
on your way to Joppa, and then uh, later on in chapter 10, we'll move up north towards Caesarea. So that's kind of the lay of the land, if you will. Oh, and then let me also, um, you see the red dots between Joppa and Caesarea? That's uh, showing the path that he would have taken, but that region right there is actually the plain of Sharon. So whenever it says those, uh, uh, Sharon kind of comes from Lydda up towards Caesarea in that whole general area along the coast. All right, so what I want us to see is an overarching theme that's in in this entire passage of Scripture. You'll see it there at the top of your sermon notes, and that is the power of Jesus is on display through his people to draw people to himself. The power of Jesus is on display through his people to draw people unto himself. And we see that happening in Acts chapter 9, and the reality is God is doing the same thing today. And so I want us to see historically, factually what took place, and then I want us to see how we are a part of this as well. In this story, we see that God chooses to work through his apostle by the name of Peter. And then the result of God working through his apostle Peter in the healing of Aeneas and the rising, rising, uh, bringing um, Dorcas back to life, we see that, that um, his power is on display, and as a result of that, people come to faith in Jesus. In many ways, these two miracles that we see are duplicates, uh, meaning they uh, look a lot like a couple of miracles that Jesus performed himself. And so I want you to jot down where you can find them later. We won't take the time to read them, but Aeneas is healed. He's bedridden and paralyzed for eight years, and it reminds us of a story in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, Jesus healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. This man has been paralyzed for 38 years, And whenever Jesus heals him, in John chapter 5, verse 8, he says, get up, take your mat, and walk. And so it's a very similar miracle that takes place in the life of Aeneas and Peter. The second miracle, the raising of Tabitha, or Dorcas, from death to life, it reminds us of a story where Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. Jairus was a a ruler or a leader, and and Jesus heals his daughter that is dead and brings her back to life. You can jot down this verse. It's found in Mark chapter 5, verse 41. And the the reason I want to point this one out is because of this. Notice that Tabitha is known by two names. If, If I was Tabitha, which I'm not a girl, but if I was Tabitha, I'd go by Tabitha and not Dorcas. But the reason why these two names are here is because Tabitha is a is an Aramaic name, and Dorcas is the Greek translation. And the reason I believe that Luke includes her Aramaic name, Tabitha, is because it duplicates the miracle that takes place in uh, Jairus' daughter. And what I mean by that, if you were to look at Mark chapter 5, verse 41, you would see the Aramaic, at least in the ESV, is there. And when Jesus uh, looks at this girl and tells her to come back to life, he looks at her and says, Talitha, arise. Talitha is not the girl's name, although I've known somebody named that. Talitha is actually the the Aramaic word, which means little girl. And so when he looks at her, he says, Talitha kum, which is an Aramaic word as well, and says, little girl, arise. Now, in Peter's life, he looks at Tabitha. There's only one letter different, change the L to the B, and he looks at Tabitha and says, Tabitha, arise. 
And I say all this is because Peter is not doing a work by himself. Rather, it's the work of Jesus in and through him. And it's a continuation of what Jesus was already doing. And so that's what we see all over the book of Acts. Miracles took place. Peter was used by God to bring Aeneas back to a restored, healthy body, and Dorcas or Tabitha back to life. And as a result of that, people all over saw what took place, and it says that they turned to the Lord and they believed in him. So we see this overarching idea that the power of Jesus is on display through his people to draw people unto himself. Now, the truth of the matter is that God is doing the same thing today. God is on the move. God is at work. God is doing his thing. He is alive and active. Those of us that are taking the Experiencing God class, we're reminded every Sunday morning when we gather and every week while we go through the material that God is always at work. God's always at work. And his desire is to work through his people. And the end result of that work is to bring him glory and to turn people back to him. So as we look at this story this morning, Let's consider the factual case that this took place. Let's be amazed by the healing that took place in these individuals' lives. But let's not walk out unchanged. Rather, let's walk out understanding that the Lord wants to work through you and I as well in order that his work would be done, his glory would be extended, and people would be changed forever by his work. All right. I want us to kind of break it down into three different things. You, you see on your notes the word source, instrument, and result. We're going to look at each one, one at a time. If the Lord, which he is, is at work, if his power is on display, then the question is we need to know what is the source of that power. Uh, the answer to that question is the source of the power that we see on display in Acts chapter 9 and in our lives today, the source of that power is absolutely Jesus. It's not ourselves. It's not anything that Peter did. It's not on Peter. It's not like Peter is some holy man, the guru, and because of him being there, this work is being done. Rather, the source of the power is Jesus. Did you see the illustration, and maybe you heard the first part of it, maybe you didn't, but do you see the illustration that Howard used a moment ago? In that illustration, he showed the power of the magnet, and that the magnet attracted that nail or whatever he had up there, right? And so the source all along is that magnet. The way the next nail connected to the next nail was because of the original power source. We must see that the source of the power is Jesus. Look, look in Acts chapter 9, verse 34. What does Jesus say, sorry, Peter say to Aeneas? He says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. He wants to make it clear, there's nothing I'm doing this special. Like the power is not found in me. The power, the source, is 100% Jesus. There's no denying what he said. Then look down in verse 40. In verse 40, when he's there with uh, Tabitha, it says that Peter knelt down and he prayed. That he did that before he then turned to Tabitha's body and said, Tabitha, arise. 
It wasn't anything that Peter did. It was not sleight of hand. There was nothing in him that made this possible. It was the work of Jesus in and through him. We must be clear. We must be clear to ourselves and we must be clear to others that the source of the power of God in our lives is Jesus and him alone. He's the originating spot. He is the one that drives everything. I want us to consider this thought. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, may we have the attitude that Peter did, and may we first drop to our knees, whether literally or figuratively, let us drop to our knees and pray to the Lord and ask him for his strength. Here's a prayer I want us to see. It's found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago, or maybe three weeks ago. P, um, Paul writes this, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul writes this. Go ahead and throw that up on the screen. There we go. Um, Paul, at the end of a prayer, says, Now to him, talking about Jesus, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us and so what we see here is this the lord doing the work and the power that we have within us is him jesus is the source of our power now perhaps for some of you there is this sense of i i need or someone in my life needs physical healing like, I'm not able to walk. I'm paralyzed like Aeneas is, right? And so for some of us, perhaps that's the kind of prayer that we have. And we know in, in our church, we're, we're praying for Mark. And, and we understand that there are people in our lives that are impacted by things like this. And we understand that sometimes the Lord chooses to answer that prayer specifically. And we see a miraculous healing. And sometimes unknown to us the lord doesn't choose that path but we continue to pray for mark and kelly and their family right and we pray for anyone that's going through any physical ailment right but more than likely the majority of us in this room are less praying about something physically that may seem undaunting and perhaps the majority of us in this room are praying for things that are, are, are daunting in our lives, regardless of what it is. So it could be a physical thing, but I, I think of things like marriage. I had a conversation with a friend just this past week, and he said, I just don't know where my marriage is headed. Like, I've made some mistakes. I'm not sure if it's going to last or not, but I want it to last. So some of us are dealing with things within our marriage. Others of us are dealing with things within our finances. Like we don't know where the next, uh, where, how we're going to pay for the next bill. We're, we're struggling. We need God's power in our marriage. We need God's power in our finances. Some of us that are parents, it's like we just survive day to day, and I don't know how to parent. Like the kid didn't come with a manual. I don't know what to do. Like when he or she cries, do I feed him more bottle or less bottle? Do I change the diaper right away or do I not? I mean, what do I do? Like how do I get my kid to go to bed? And then those of us that are past all that, I guarantee it, it doesn't get any easier the older the kids get, Right? So there's all kinds of power we need in our parenting, decisions that we have to make in life. Do I take this job? Do I not take this job? Do I buy this house? Do I not buy this house? Do, do I, do I um, go on this trip? Do I not go on this trip? Do I spend this money this way? Do I, do I join this church or do I join another church? Like decisions in life, we need God's power in them. Could be that some of us are struggling with addictions or habits. Could be that 
Some of you are struggling with porn or you're struggling with some kind of, 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 of a drug addiction or, or overeating or, or perhaps um, throwing up after you eat. I mean, it could be lots of different addictions that we have, and we need power from God in that. And the list could go on and on and on. What I want to say to you is whether I listed the thing you're struggling with or not, Whatever it is you need power in, whatever you need help with, never think it's about self-help. Never think it's about willpower. Never think it's about my new plan. Rather, let's always remember that the source of the power and the strength is Jesus. And he may along the way use some of your plans and the plans that he gives you. But if I rely on my plans, I will fail. If I rely on the power and the strength of Jesus, that's where my source is. Trust Jesus. His power is more than strong enough to address those. If Jesus' power was enough to heal Aeneas... If Jesus' power was to bring Tabitha back to life, I guarantee it his power is strong enough and sufficient for whatever you and I are facing today. So that's the source. Let's look at the next. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's look at the next one. Sorry, I was looking in the wrong place on my notes. The next one is instrument. I'm not talking about like a piano or a keyboard or a drum, right? I'm saying what is the instrument or vessel that God uses to display his power? And the answer is his followers. You and I. In this scenario, in the book of Acts, in chapter 9, we see that the specific instrument that God used was Peter. And yes, the source was Jesus, but Jesus chose to use Peter to pronounce the healing that Jesus had brought, right? And so there is an instrument or a tool that the Lord uses, and that is his followers. Now, in spite of the fact or even though God uses an instrument, it does not negate the fact that Jesus is the source. But oftentimes, he chooses to do his work in and through his people. In order for us to kind of understand how is it that Peter could be an instrument to heal someone like that or to raise someone back to life, you could write down Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. In Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Jesus spends some time with his disciples, his 12 apostles. He's about to send them out to do work of ministry, and he sits them down, and here's what he says in those verses. It says that he gave power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So we shouldn't be surprised that Peter, who'd been given that power and that authority from Jesus, is able to be used of God, the power source being God, and yet he being the vessel that God chose to use to bring healing and to bring about these miracles. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Peter, as an apostle, had the power and authority to do so. Now, I want us to be really careful here. In Acts chapter 9, where Peter does these miracles, he's the instrument through which God chooses to do these miracles, is a descriptive nature and not a prescriptive nature. And while, what I mean by that is it describes truthfully what took place. But I am quite confident that you and I, not being one of the 12 apostles, have no power nor authority to sit before a dead body and demand that the Lord bring that dead body back to life. 
So I want us to be really careful here and understand why it is that Peter had the power and authority to do so, and also at the same time not negate the fact that there are other ways that the Lord will and can work in and through you and I if we are willing instruments to be used of him. So uh, let's think about some of the ways that he, you, he can use you to be a conduit of his power and his ministry. He could use your skills. He could use your talents. He could use the spiritual gifts that he's given you. All of those are for his glory. And the reality is we have to be careful and understand that those are for his glory and not for our sake. I'm reminded of a story earlier in the book of Acts, and uh, maybe uh, you remember it. In Acts chapter, um, I'm I'm trying to find my notes here, Acts chapter 8, I'm not finding it right now, but in Acts chapter 8, around verse 35 or so, there's a story of a guy by the name of Simon, and Simon uh, is a magician, and it says that he sees what the Lord has done as the Holy Spirit comes upon the people. And he's amazed by the power that he sees. And then he asks that he receive that power so that he can gain more notoriety and power himself. The reality is that whenever God chooses to use us and we are a vessel of his, we're to be used for his glory and not for our glory at all. How, how do I get myself in a position where I'm able to be an instrument used of God? There's lots of different ways we can think of. We can study God's word. We can spend time with other believers. We can be active in our church. We can serve. We can uh, be in an attitude and spirit of prayer. The list could go on and on, but I want to focus for just a moment on the need for prayer. If I want to tap into the power of Jesus, and if I want to be an instrument through which Jesus does his work in his ministry, then I better spend some time in prayer, right? Think about Peter. Whenever he's ready to to bring Dorcas back to life, he kneels down and he prays and he asks Jesus to do his work in him. We need to be a people, individually and corporately as a church, that are known as people of prayer because we can do nothing on our own power and strength and we must tap into the power and strength of Jesus and the way we do that is through prayer. Uh, there's lots of ways we can do that. I'm praying that each of your hope groups, if you're in a hope group, that you prioritize the importance of prayer and that you're praying as a a hope group. I'm I'm hopeful that if you're in a D group, that your D group is spending time in prayer. I'm hopeful that if you're in a discipleship class, an equipping class, that you're doing the same thing. I'm, I'm praying that if you're on a serving team, you're praying that the Lord would lead you and use you. And I'm also praying that we corporately as a church family are praying for the power of the Lord to be displayed in and through us for his glory. One of the ways that we do that here at our church is, and I know not everybody's schedule allows you to do this, but we have prayer that's scheduled right now. We may adjust it, we may not, but it's on Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m. And if your schedule lets you, come join us for prayer on a uh, on a Wednesday morning at 7 o'clock. And we gather for about 45 minutes and we pray and we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit be at work and alive within us and our church family. A couple weeks ago, it was really cool to be there as one of our college students just poured out her heart to the Lord, asking him to do his work in her roommate's family's life and pleading with God that he would show up. Guys, God wants to use us, and one of the ways that he's going to use us is if we posture ourselves in an attitude of prayer, asking him to be at work within us. So the source of the power in Acts chapter 9 is Jesus. He is the one who brings the healing of Aeneas. He is the one who raises Dorcas from life. But the reality is at the same time that the Lord chooses to use Peter as his instrument. And so now I want us to look at what the result is. 
Jesus is the power source. He uses us along the way. And the result of that power is that people turn to the Lord and believe in him. Look at chapter 9 of Acts, verse 35. And sometimes in Scripture we see the word all, and it doesn't mean 100% of the people. It just means a very large number. And so it says, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon, that whole plain along the coastline, saw Aeneas, and they turned to the Lord. So we see that there's a large group of people that saw the need for Jesus to impact their life, and they're turning to trust in him. Undoubtedly, Peter didn't just uh, perform a miracle. He must have also preached Jesus and not just did a miracle. And because of the miracle and the preaching of Jesus, they turned to Jesus. Look in verse 42. What happens as a result of Tabitha or Dorcas being raised from, uh, from death? It says, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. The reason that the Lord does his work The reason that he chooses to use us to do his work is because his glory needs to be extended, and by that very fact, people turn and trust in him and believe in him. That is the desired outcome or the result of these miracles. It's clear that the work was done through Peter, but it was actually the work of Jesus, and so people trusted in him. I think whenever I look at this verse, um, these two verses, 35 and uh, 42, it says that some turned to the Lord, some believed in the Lord. I believe that we see two things happening. We see people who have never trusted in the Lord before, seeing that Jesus is the way for salvation, and alongside of that, I believe that disciples' faith was increased. I believe that Aeneas, who was already a follower of Jesus, his faith was restored and strengthened as a result of his healing. And so whenever God's work is done, people trust in Jesus for the first time, and those that already have trusted in Jesus, their faith is strengthened in him as well. When Jesus shows up, people experience both salvation and sanctification, that process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Jesus does his work in order that his glory may be on display. So here's what I want us to think through. Look back at that overarching statement. The overarching statement says, the power of Jesus is on display through his people to draw people to himself. And as you look at that phrase, may you and I experience the power of God in our life. And may we be used by God for his sake and so that we're not patting ourselves on the back and saying, look at us, look how good we are. Or let's not have a focus on, hey, if God's really at work, then more people will be here and our church will be bigger and more people will hear of us and we'll be more proud of ourselves. No, no, no. May the Lord be at work in our lives in such a way that his name and his fame is proclaimed so that eyes are turned to him and not towards us. In this passage of Scripture today, we have seen the power of God, the power of Jesus done through the work of his follower Peter, and people turn to him in faith, and we see that that power is sufficient over disease and death. This morning, I'm saying that we need to understand that the Lord's power is sufficient in whatever you are facing.
Got a text this morning from a church member, and they sent me a, a song that talks about the Lord doing his work. And that the Lord is constantly doing his work and that he can turn anything around and his glory can be extended. And she concluded it by saying, I'm praying and believing that the Lord is doing and will continue to do great things through Living Hope Baptist Church. Guys, that's my prayer as well. And when I say that I'm praying that the Lord would do great things through Living Hope Baptist Church, I'm not just talking about because of when we come together for an hour and a half on Sunday mornings or an hour and 15 minutes or whatever. I'm saying that the Lord would do great work in and through his people that are more than what takes place in this building, but instead are the people who make up this church family. What would it look like if you and I went to our neighborhoods, to our places of employment, to our schools, to our uh, activities that we are involved in, to our, our neighborhood, to the grocery store? What if wherever we went that we were allowing the Lord's Holy Spirit to be so at work within us that his glory is on display for others to see? What would it look like if we were as a church family serious about praying that that his will would be done in our lives as we've seen this power is available and it's needed in every aspect of our lives it's ultimately designed to bring glory to god and to bring others to him my question is are you experiencing the power of god in your life I, I, I know that coming together on Sunday mornings is a good time. I know that singing songs of praise to God is a good thing. I know that the rhythm and, and routine and discipline of being here every Sunday morning is where we need to be. But guys, may we see ourselves move beyond that and just say, hey, it's not just I'm here on Sunday mornings because that's what I'm supposed to be, but I'm here on Sunday mornings because I'm believing and seeing the work and the power of Jesus Christ in and among us that I've got to be a part of it that I've got to be seeking the Lord as a church family in order to see what he is up to. You see, we say that we exist as a church to be disciple, make disciples, be the church to the glory of God. And the only way that we're going to be able to live that out is if we're living in the power and the strength of Jesus Christ, believing him to use us for his sake and for his glory. Some of you this morning, perhaps you've come and you have not ever personally experienced the power of salvation in your own life. And what I mean by that is you may be a good person, you may go to church all the time, you may have said a prayer, you may have even gotten wet in a baptistry one time. But you've never experienced the power of salvation that comes in and through Jesus and him alone to forgive you of your sins. You've never trusted in him for forgiveness of your sins. You never turn to him in repentance. You've never experienced the power of Christ come into your life as the Holy Spirit takes up residence because you've never trusted in him for salvation. Maybe today is the day that you say yes to him. And so in just a few moments, we'll sing. And as we sing, I'll be available here at the front and would love to talk to you about that. Uh, or you can pick up one of the connection cards that's there in a chair near you. And on the back side, there's a place where you can mark that you're committing your life to Christ or that you want to know more about salvation. And you can drop that in the offering uh, plate when it's passed in a moment. But I don't want any of us to miss the power of salvation. And so today could be the day of salvation for you. I don't want any of us to miss the power of the sanctification of the Holy Spirit within our lives on a daily basis, and I don't want us to miss that either. 
So I'm going to ask us in just a moment when we pray, or after we pray, I should say, as we respond by singing a song or two, that we would be prepared to say yes to God. You could say yes to him there. You could say yes to him by praying here at the altar. You could say yes by coming and talking to me and praying with me. You could do something on your card there. Whatever you need to do, let's connect to the power that's available to us in and through Jesus himself and see what he wants to do in and through us. Just a moment after I pray, some uh, guys will be passing the uh, offering plates, uh, and you can use that to drop your offering in it and or your connection card. Uh, if you didn't come prepared with any of that, that's cool too, and just pass it on down the row, and then we will spend some time singing and responding. The altar is open for you to come and pray, and I'll be available here too as well. Let's pray.